We'll be reading from Ephesians, and I'm going to go from chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, to chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We're talking about vision, and the reason I'm convinced talking about vision is important is not only because you wonder, is there anything unique about this church, and if so, what is it? But more importantly, like, how are we supposed to grow up? Because that's the hope, right? Not only that we're saved, but that God mature us in love. But before we talk about faithful presence, which is the third part of this vision series, we need to remember the gospel. Because if it's true, then it strengthens and fulfills us to do God's work. But if we talk about the work too quickly, we'll suddenly talk about something very different than Christianity, which will be something more along the lines of us saving ourselves and doing a little bit of good in the world, which is why I'm starting in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not, as a, result of, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Moving to chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then to chapter 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I appreciate how often the Bible locates God for us. Where's Jesus? He's in heaven. Physically even, though we're not going to get into that um, a great deal today. And it reminds us that he's God, which reminds us about the importance of corporate worship. I talked about that exclusively two weeks ago. 
But for Paul, we first remember where Jesus is because it proves that he is worthy of our worship and devotion and following of him. It proves that what he said is true, that we're saved back into relationship with God because of his work. And then it turns us into spiritual family with God as father and our strong older brother who went before us, defeating death and sin and evil. I talked about this last week, somewhat uh, brief, in a somewhat brief manner because I was very tired. Two funerals last week, not a member of the church, but um, it's a rookie mistake too, saying yes to two funerals in a week. I'm not a rookie, so anyway. That's why last week's sermon was brief. But I was talking about the importance of friendship. That may sound like a not, like of course friendship's important. It's important for the vision of the church because when we lose any of the components, worship, community, or faithful presence, we're doing something profoundly unchristian, and the result is harmful. If we have worship and we have community, what does that say about our life and its purpose? If we enjoy worshiping here, we have good friends that we'd be glad to sit with in some of our darker moments, but we're not serving anywhere. That's simply not Christian according to the book of James. It doesn't follow with Jesus' description of how Christians live in Matthew 25, and it's selfish. If we have worship and faithful presence, we will be lonely. Resentment will settle in look around at these people and wonder if they care about the things that we care about. If we have community and faithful presence, what's the root of that? Self. It's a way of worshiping ourselves rather than God. If we have good friendships, we are serving and trying to do some good out in the world, but we're not worshiping God. Ultimately, that's both selfish and a worship of self. We need all of these components to flourish. I don't know what. There we go. And this is because of where Jesus is. Bodily, seated at the right hand of God. Sitting right now. There's more to it than that. He's interceding for us. He's advocating for us. But he's also physically there. And one of the reasons that uh, our elders are convinced, and we've actually been talking about this on and off for eight years, So if you've been an elder at all in the last eight years, you know that this has been on my mind about trying to start, not trying, about starting a new church is because there aren't very many in this part of the country that proclaim a Jesus who is seated bodily at Jesus' right hand. I told this story over the summer, but because it was a news story, I was trying to think of how to tell it. But I texted a pastor when I was working on something related to the resurrection. And I said, do you believe the resurrection happened? And he said, nah, not really. But I wouldn't put anything past God. And many of the churches around here, that's the kind of church they are. And I'm not um, actually meaning to speak negatively of it. I want to speak positively, positively of churches that do proclaim a risen Lord. If you do any study of um, the most post-Christian cities in America, where do they all land, all but two of them, the top ten? Up here. And it's getting worse. You read the 2015 version of the study and the 2019 version of the study, and it's tons of questions. 
about does God exist, does prayer matter, is salvation a thing? No, not really. It's around here. I am an EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, ordained pastor. Have been one for over a decade. This is the only EPC church in the state of Connecticut. To my knowledge, I'm the only EPC pastor. There are 47 churches in our presbytery, that's our region, and four in the six states of New England. And I don't think that's enough. Because the world, the hope of the world is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians. The way that the world learns about that hope is from hospitable Orthodox Christians who have hospitable Orthodox places to worship. It's going to take us a while. What we're going to do is next fall, by God's grace, we'll bring in a church planter who will serve here as a pastor for about two years. And then we'll spend that time praying, developing a core team, raising money, and going out. And then we'll evaluate, was this a good idea? Did it work? Did it uh, inspire and encourage the mission around here as well as did it work? Our presbytery is very excited, our denomination is very excited, and I hope you become excited. That's our plan. Because of where Jesus is, we walk. And the order is so essential. I think we would naturally just do a different order to our religion. We would want to talk about what to do. And if you read the New Testament, you know that what we do is always at the end. We start with what did Jesus do? Where is he? Seated with God. And then we get to walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Chapter 4, verse 1. I use um, a video, an app with videos to work out. It's a Peloton, but I don't have a Peloton bike. I'd love one. Some of you are getting rid of one. Um, <laughs> and some of the trainers, and they're all excellent, some of the trainers give all this self-help at the end. And one of my favorite trainers gives six statements at the end, and I only agree with one of them. I said, I'm not in conflict with anyone else. One is like, you're becoming your best self. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just want to be less tired and be able to pick up my son. Like, that's it. That's why I'm working out. And yet I think naturally that's what we go to. That's why the self-help section is always such a perennial bestseller and most people haven't heard of Herman Bovink, who's one of the most responsible theologians. But here's the thing. Self-help is only this much useful if it's sitting on a foundation. And so before I talk about how we get to be faithfully present in the world, which is ours to do as individuals and as a church, we have to talk about where Jesus is and then we get to walk with him. Otherwise, it would be maybe that useful, and then it would crumble. One of the, one of the trainers does this. He says, inhale the good and exhale the bad. And I was thinking about this big family conflict um, that brewed, and I, we were going to visit them over Christmas with my siblings, and we weren't able to visit them. I was a little bit relieved, which shows growth on my part. I can explain later. But I was thinking, what if one of my sisters had come to me and started telling me some of the stories about the conflict and I had gone, just breathe in, breathe out. What would she have done? Punched me? She punched me once when we were eight. She told me she was going to and I was like, oh, whatever. And she punched me right in the face. The point is we always start with the gospel. We always remember who God is and what he's done because without that foundation, any kind of tactic, whether it's breathing or otherwise, is not going to settle our hearts. 
So we start with where Jesus is and then our opportunity to walk and the reminder that we do so with humility and gentleness and patience. I have uh, broken all of these in conflicts with some of you. So I get to then ask for forgiveness. I hope the last time that you were upset or offended with the church, it describes you. And if it didn't, you ask for forgiveness. We need all of these things in our worship with God, in our interaction with one another, and approaching mission and vision. We need humility, gentleness, and patience to bear with one another. I've mentioned this before. I'm a big fan of this book, Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Nee, Chinese Christian man and missionary. Little short book about Ephesians. And I just love the way he summarizes the gospel in it. Sit, Walk, Stand. It's about 77 pages long. And that's why I'm using it to set up this part of the sermon because if we don't begin with the gospel, we'll just, we're just not even acting like a church anymore. Because of where Jesus is seated, we walk and then we stand. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The other reason I started with this order is what's the main scheme of the devil? It's that people don't worship God. That's his chief goal. He has other goals that I'll talk about in just a minute, but if God exists and is good, the chief goal of his adversary, and his adversary's minions even, is that people not worship God. Which is part of the reason I'm excited about church planting, but also want us to understand the text. Like we can let the beautiful metaphors of this text distract us from how basic it is that you're literally doing the opposite of what the evil one wants this morning in your worship. You are doing what Paul is encouraging you you to do. You stood against the schemes. He has other schemes though, which are to impoverish people, to put them into prison, actual captivity. And as a church, we are to do some amount of work bringing light and life to all those categories. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about how Christians inevitably go and serve when and where they can. And so I call it faithful presence. It's an umbrella term, and it's going to There are two kinds of faithful presence available to us at Covenant Presbyterian Church. One is faithful presence not unique. And these are not good titles. Just bear with me. Remember you were commanded to. Chapter 4, verse (laughs) 2. I think every church should be supporting a local food pantry because of Matthew chapter 25. Not just Matthew 25, but it's the clearest. I think every church should do what they can for the homeless. We have at times uh, gotten involved with Habitat for Humanity. Day camp is a way of being faithfully present that preaches the gospel. Some of the ways that we're faithfully present do not. I was speaking with a homeless ministry a couple of years ago called the Ignatian Spirituality Project. I was talking with one of their representatives, and he said, homeless people are among the most proselytized you will ever meet, which is why I'm so impressed with street church. Those of you that sent your children to do Hartford City Mission, the guidelines for street church of how to serve the homeless are so God-honoring.
the outreach program is a, a program that we have used. Uh, they package food in bulk so that food pantries have a backbone whenever they are running out of stuff. These are, these are, fa- these are ways that we're faithfully present that I think all churches should be involved in. We have a few people volunteering with Amira, which is an anti-trafficking group. They go and sit at the house as a stabilizing agent. They drive people to their job training. Amira is a group that after someone is rescued from trafficking, they can learn all the skills and receive all the healing that they need to re-enter society. So volunteering there is regular faithful presence. And most of you do not have time to do it. But when you remember that on the first of the month, we bring stuff for our food pantry, that's being faithfully present, and it feels so small, so insignificant. And yet in God's kingdom, our small moves of obedience are tied into what he's doing in the world. Some of you have helped out with our blood drives. Is that this week? Paige, where are you? Is that this week? Yes. And I have it in my calendar. I got, I'm going to pick up the lunch. If you've ever thought about volunteering with one of our blood drives, it's really fun to tell the supervisor that we buy their lunch or it's donated every week. Most of the time, they apparently don't get treated well, which I don't understand. Like, why, who would not treat Red Cross workers well? But apparently that's what happens. It's really fun. And I know some of you can't ever be here because of your job or life or whatever. And none of you can be involved in all of our faithful presence efforts. But it's essential, according to Jesus, that we stand. And the ways that we stand do not look like we're standing there in gleaming armor when we remember to bring this to church. And yet, that's what's happening. And then there's faithful presence that's unique to us. And that's asking these especially rescue groups to come and retreat here. I texted Jeff Moger on Wednesday. I shouldn't say especially retreat groups. Any of these groups, we want them to last. We want to care for them. We want them to rest. Rescuers need rest. I was texting Jeff Moger earlier this week because he uh, tutors down at Hartford City Mission. And I said, Jeff, Does the director of Harvard City Mission know that they're welcome to use our retreat center, that we'd love to cook them a big dinner and thank them? And he said, no. Funny you should text. I'm driving down there for the first time to tutor again since the pandemic. These are some of the groups that we encourage people to serve with, including our own. And some of them are regular. And by regular, I don't mean not unique, but I mean all Christians should do what they can where they are for the homeless We can support this because it's doing good. And then there are the specific ones to us where we invite groups like Kairos and Route One and Amira and these others also to come and rest with us. And I know that some of you are concerned about this vision. And let me be super clear. It may not always be the vision of the church. And I don't determine that. Our elders wrestle with the mission and vision every year. I'll tell you this. There's one defining difference that I have seen between those that are excited about the vision of bringing rescuers here and providing them rest and those that don't. And it's those that have done one of the retreats with them. I took a group of 15 staff and uh, volunteers from Route One, which is a ministry where the women go in using the most powerful tool available to us with respect to evangelism, friendship, 
And they go in and they become friends with the dancers. In Springfield, which are our neighbors because the dancers from there live here because they don't want to see people in supermarkets. And I took them up um, on a hike. If you've ever hiked off Saddle Ridge, there's a beautiful waterfall. And then you can see Hubline, except there are no humans. It's great. And I took a bunch of rocks. We were going to do a little exercise of casting our cares upon him. And I you know, brought a backpack full of rocks. And it's not that bad of a hike. And I'm apparently fit enough to do that. And I wanted uh, these 15 rescue workers to take two or three rocks. But one of them took about half of them. Screwed up my whole illustration. And she started tossing them, and there's no trail below where we toss them. It's safe. And the reason she took so many was because she had been a victim of trafficking. And if you've cooked a meal for, or prayed with, or sat with these people, you're excited to give them some rest and encourage them in the work that they do. And most of you don't have time to do more than maybe about once a year. That's what I'm asking. And one of the reasons I'm excited to remind you about this from a vision standpoint is this is what we do as human beings. Because of my role here, my kids and I end up talking about these ministries. And that's challenging to figure out how to talk with them about these things. Some are simpler than others. They understand Kairos a little more quickly than they understand Amira. The other reason I'm excited to tell you is parents, this is part of how we raise our children, right? When my kids were about six, we got them three jars. Give, save, spend. And now that they're getting older, the conversations about who to give to are becoming more and more rich. We have given to uh, the Dolphin Research Center in Florida, and one of my children has given to Route One, and they give to the church also. That's part of how we train up our children in what does a Christian do? Love God, love people, be faithfully present, especially to those who are marginalized, right? You see how the vision is not only for the church, but for us as followers of Christ. Got it? Clear? I have been very unclear about this vision in some moments, trying to be clear. What I've had to do is give myself permission to stop preaching and try and explain. Is it clear? Great. Four people understand. Excited. Because of where Jesus is, we walk and stand and take up his armor. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We're going to do a quick eschatology quiz and you're all going to nail it. When's the evil day? Now. It's now, friends, that we stand because we have been given the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the first piece of the armor. Not because we're so righteous, but because righteousness has been imputed to you by Jesus. That's the breastplate. Because you have been given shoes of the gospel of peace that the world knows nothing of, but you do. And the shield of faith 
that wards off the darts. You know what the darts sound like? I don't have time to do anything of those ministries. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have any gifts or skills in this area. That's what those darts sound like. You have the Holy Spirit. It indwells you, and that is called here the helmet of salvation. You have a sword, and you need it, and I hope you know it. If you don't have one, there's a whole bunch in the back. Please take it. That kind of a church. I mean, yeah, you can always take a Bible from here. And you have prayer. You have sighing prayers when you see injustice in the world. Lord, and read Romans 8. He sorts all that out. That's a good prayer. We have longer prayers for our friends and neighbors that don't yet know Jesus. We have our prayers for injustice and marginalization we see around us. And I love that Paul ends with talking about the mystery because it is a mystery that he, in, in part, that he loves us as much as, as this. I don't, it's not a mystery to me that I need saving. But it's a profound mystery that I'm called to stand with this armor. And so are you. It's my favorite part of the gospel. If the gospel can be summarized that you're loved, you need to be saved from your sin, and you have a role to play. I have trouble believing the first one, intellectually, that I'm as loved as the scriptures say. I have no trouble believing that I need to be saved. But then my favorite part of the gospel is that we have a role, friends. Stand, therefore. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, this church longs to worship and serve you. And any parts of our mission or vision that are not of you, I ask that you dismantle them sooner rather than later. And Lord, we know that we have limits. We also know we're called to stand, therefore. Would you empower us? Would you show us that you already have called us? Would you encourage us about the work you are already doing? Amen.